BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. COVID-19 cases continue to rise in California, and much of the state is now in the CDC's medium risk level tier. That includes the entire Bay Area and most Southern California counties, including Los Angeles, San Diego, Orange, Imperial, and Ventura. According to the State Department of Public Health, the test positivity rate over the last week is at 7%, a level that hasn't been reached since February, and hospitalizations in California have nearly doubled since the start of the month. During the worst months of the pandemic, many childcare providers had to temporarily close their doors. That pushed some providers over the edge, especially in low-income communities. From KPBS in San Diego, Claire Trageser reports. Carolina Festo walks over the cracked concrete outside her home in San Diego's City Heights neighborhood and envisions something entirely different, a play space for kids. So I want to fix to put the concrete and put the uh, fake glasses, but it's a lot of money. I cannot afford it uh, to do that. Festo is a refugee from Burundi and used to run a home child care with 12 kids. When COVID started, she had to close. She lives in one of San Diego's poorest neighborhoods with a high immigrant and refugee population. All her clients were refugees who worked in hotel housekeeping, and they were laid off. I lost my clients because the parents, you know, they didn't go to work, so they decided to stay with uh, with the kids. Festo's childcare was one of almost 4,000 that closed in California after COVID hit. During the pandemic, the rate of childcare closures nearly tripled, on average almost five a day. And many of those businesses, like Festo's, have not been able to reopen. It was very tough and very difficult for me to come back in business because a lot of clients moved out of San Diego. In many places, closures hit the most vulnerable neighborhoods the hardest. City Heights in San Diego lost more childcare businesses than any other zip code in the state, and other areas such as Chico and Lancaster north of L.A. were also hit hard. 
Kim McDougall runs the Child Care Resource Service for the San Diego YMCA. She says even a small disruption is enough to put child care providers out of business, especially in lower-income areas. Many of our higher-income communities were able to maintain their child care supply, and that's probably because they're able to charge a higher price for the care that they're providing. And those businesses likely had a safety net. While there was some government aid for child care, it didn't do enough. Providers got small grants, but those only lasted a few months. Then there was the federal PPP program, but it largely bypassed lower-income, higher-minority communities. Just 4% of the childcare businesses that closed statewide received PPP loans. And in San Diego County, most of the PPP loans went to higher-income areas such as Poway and La Jolla, while businesses in City Heights received none. Are you so happy? Yeah. What do you think? Ariana Steck sits at a desk in her small apartment in San Diego's North Park neighborhood with four different baby contraptions, all within arm's reach. Right now, her six-month-old Griffin is standing in a jumper surrounded by colorful buttons that play music. I started using a family child care home, a licensed family child care home, for one day a week. Um, and... The rest of the days, I am childcare and employee. Steck has been back at work for a month. While she put Griffin on childcare waitlist long before he was actually born, she hasn't been able to find full-time care. Many centers didn't have vacancies until the winter of 2022. Um, one center told me they had over 100 infants on their waitlist. <laughs> I was like, well, we're, he's going to be you know, in preschool by the time you call us. So she's attempting to work from home while caring for a baby. So my very first week back, I started my days at about 4 in the morning, um, and he slept until 7, so I got three hours in then. That wasn't sustainable. Now she gets a little more sleep and tries to work while Griffin plays. Like tummy time, um, in his bedroom we have a little footstool that I use like for the rocker. I park my laptop on that, and he's sitting right next to me. Steck actually works in part doing childcare referrals, so she has better access to childcare than almost anyone. And when she was pregnant, she knew there was a childcare crisis. But once like you're sitting in it, you're like, "Oh, this is a crisis. There, there is a legitimate thing happening here where there is a huge demand for infant care, and the supply is just not there." She says if she didn't have a flexible employer, she'd have to quit her job. For the California Report. I'm Claire Tregesser in San Diego. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. There are growing concerns about the potential health and safety risks from more than a dozen leaking oil wells in Bakersfield. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. State inspectors say at least five of the 13 wells are emitting methane, 
at high enough levels that could either be explosive or cause serious health risks. Environmental groups say, along with possible pollutants filling the air in nearby neighborhoods, there's also the threat of a major explosion or fire. But Kevin Albertson, deputy chief with the Bakersfield Fire Department, told a recent community meeting that while they continue to monitor the situation, they've deemed it to be safe. Upon uh, monitoring over multiple days and the two communities that surrounded the wells, we never found any LEL or methane readings around those areas. State officials say they've capped the leaking wells, but not everyone who lives in those communities is convinced that the threat has ended. Who pays for the individuals who are sick, the children and mothers who are pregnant that are being exposed? Who's responsible for that? Because this isn't a one-time thing. Has there been monitoring for something other than methane uh, at the wellheads and, you know, closer to the neighborhoods? And what specific procedures is there to know if a well casing is failing or not? Because to my understanding, the well casing was an issue in one of the wells. That was Rosanna Esparza and Cesar, who did not give his last name during the community meeting. While many of the concerns are on the surface level, there's also the issue of a possible buildup of methane underground. Uduak Joe Entuk, head of the California Geologic Energy Management Division, or CalGEM, says inspectors are monitoring that as well. There's no indication of high pressure. The gauges on there, which are new and calibrated, tell us what the pressure is below. Now, this is an old oil field that's been de-energized. There's no gas cap. There's no uh, you know, potential for a, a well blowout. Entuck says the goal eventually is to permanently seal these oil wells. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. The results of a race to decide who sits on the Compton City Council in South L.A. County have been overturned following an election rigging scandal involving the winner. Councilman Isaac Alvan won the race last year by a single vote, but a judge determined that four of the votes cast in the June election were cast by people who did not live in the district, meaning runner-up Andre Spicer was the rightful winner. The judge ruled that Spicer would replace Galvan in office, although it's not immediately clear when that will happen. Following the election, the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office filed charges against Galvan, alleging that he conspired with a primary opponent to direct voters from outside the district to cast ballots in the election. He was also accused of trying to bribe election officials. And staying on politics, Election Day is a little more than a week away in California, and many of you listening have likely already cast a ballot, either by mail or at an election center in your county. So here's a question for you. Whether your favorite candidate wins or loses, do you think your interests and concerns will be well represented in government? And will your council member or supervisor or state legislator really understand issues in your particular community or neighborhood? Well, probably not, says Joe Matthews, who writes about California politics and is president of the Global Forum on Modern Direct Democracy. Matthews believes that at all levels of government, we just have too few elected officials representing too many Californians. He calls it a crisis of representation. The crisis of representation is that we don't have enough representation. And the way to get it is to have more representatives. We just have very few. You see this at the local level where our big cities have very small city councils, you know, L.A. having 
nearly 4 million people having 15 council members. So everyone represents more than 200,000 people. That's insane. You know, our, our, our state legislature is the smallest and the least representative in the country in that, you know, we only have 80 assembly members. So that's about 40 million Californians. That's 500,000 per. That's way more populous than anywhere else. And it's five times the national average. Uh, our senators are 40. So it's a million per. That's, you know, that's nuts. That's actually more people than members of Congress represent. So you think there's a shortage of politicians? No, I would say there's a shortage of representatives. In having that structure, we've made, we've sort of empowered politicians, right? And a relatively small number of them to represent large numbers of us. If we hate politicians so much, you know, we might want to have more representatives. That's the, I think, the sort of central insight. When it comes to Sacramento in particular, you know, we have combined, we have 120 members of the Assembly and the State Senate. To the nearest 10 or 20, how many people do you think should be in those bodies to adequately represent Californians? Um, 800, 800. I'd love one body, one legislative body, not two. You know, bicamerals just give you more dark corners to strangle good ideas, but 800 people. Do you think there's real appetite to expand legislative assemblies and bodies? I mean, do you think this is what the people want to see? I think in the United States, I would say at the moment, no. But I think that reflects the really troubled and disordered mindset of Americans when it comes to democracy and politics. Americans talk about saving their current system as though they were saving democracy. And of course, our current system is not particularly democratic. Certainly, the higher you go up, the less democratic it is. There should be so much re many representatives that it becomes an expectation that people feel that at some point in their life, in some small way, they will be an elected representative. Not unlike the same way that, I mean, maybe we dread it a little, but there's an expectation you might serve on a jury at some point in your life. It should be that. All right, Joe Matthews, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. My pleasure, Saul. Pope Francis has chosen Bishop Robert McElroy of San Diego as one of 21 new cardinals. Like Pope Francis, McElroy has a reputation for being vocal about social issues. He's encouraged church outreach to the LGBTQ community and has also recently pushed back against some Catholic church leaders who've said they'll deny communion to Catholic politicians who support abortion rights. Bishop McElroy has said he doesn't think communion should be politicized. Father Efrain Batista of Corpus Christi Catholic Church in San Diego County tells CBS 8 in San Diego the diocese there is proud of McElroy. We've never had a cardinal in San Diego. It's always reserved for the larger cities in the different countries. So we're really blessed to be able to have Bishop McElroy be named a cardinal. Whether it's in Africa, Latin America, Europe, or Asia, Anywhere Bishop McElroy or Cardinal-elect McElroy will not have a, a say and will be able to advise the Holy Father on what happens. McElroy grew up in San Francisco and did his seminary and theology schooling in the Bay Area. He's the only bishop of the group selected from North America. He and his cardinal cohort will be officially installed by Pope Francis at Rome's St. Peter's Basilica on August 27th. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare. 
alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, May 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!